You're listening to the Vineyard Milwaukee podcast. For more information about Vineyard Milwaukee Church, visit vineyardmilwaukee.com. Now here's this week's message. Are you feeling lonely in the midst of this ongoing pandemic? Have you been feeling lonely or just a sense of feeling disconnected? Uh, Maybe you've gone through some stages of kind of wondering, like, who are my people really? Like, who are the people who really know me? Um, Who are the people that I really know? Um, Maybe you've just kind of taken inventory of your relationships and, and kind of, you know, struggled with and wrestled with some of those thoughts. I know I have. The good news is, though, if you have or even are feeling lonely, that's actually a good and appropriate sign that you are in touch with the deepest need that we have as human beings, which is for relationship, which is for intimacy. And certainly in the midst of this pandemic, when regular times to connect with people face to face has been disrupted, be very appropriate that you would grieve the loss of that. But maybe even deeper than that, maybe some of you have are very social people and you've had a lot of um, all kinds of relationships, work relationships and friendships and acquaintances. And, and so you never really felt lonely until the pandemic. But during this time, you've kind of began to wonder, do I really have people in my life that really know the real me? And are there people in my life that I really know the real them? And do we do life together in a way that actually shapes me and, um, and, and grows me as a person? You know, I think if we're honest, many of us uh, maybe don't have those kinds of relationships in our lives, one that really leads to any level of spiritual transformation. Have you ever wondered why shows like Friends and Seinfeld or Parenthood, I know I'm speaking from shows from my generation, um, shows like these have been so popular over the years? Um, I know some people might think they're funny. Um, I've, I've never actually been a huge uh, fan of Friends, which I know will shock people who are big Friends people, but I, have, I definitely have watched every episode of Seinfeld. But there's something that all of these shows have in common, and all of them sort of demonstrate this sort of idyllic community, right? They're all these groups of friends whose lives are so interconnected. You know, they're always eating meals together. They're spending time together. They're involved in the details of each other's lives. And they just seem to have this this loyalty and intimacy, and they're just always there for each other. And there's something about these shows that taps into this desire and this hunger we all have for that level of relationship. I know many people, maybe they're not even conscious of it, but will be just drawn to these kinds of of, communities um, on TV because it just taps into this desire to kind of belong to a group of people in a way that's so intimate Um, and so connected, a place where you can feel safe and really be yourself. But all of these programs have two very significant things in common. And that is, number one, they aren't real. (laughs) They are these idyllic communities because they don't exist. They're not reality. Um, And then the other reason, or the other thing that they have in common is that Uh, They're not really formed around a common purpose. 
but rather they're formed around things like proximity or um, they share maybe a, the same season in life um, or a show like The Office. Those relationships are formed around a common vocation or a common workplace. And so these are just kind of, you know, relationships that are formed for these different kinds of random reasons. And these are natural and and can be very wonderful life-giving kinds of communities. I know um, all kinds of people have developed great relationships with work colleagues. I know when my kids were little, I was uh, involved in several different kinds of play groups. And those were wonderful communities for me because we were, you know, shared the same season in life and we were had space in our life to, to kind of hang out and spend time together. And, uh, you know, these are kind of groups that form around a specific, like I said, proximity, vocation, season of life. But these kinds of communities, although wonderful and, and life-giving communities, will not likely have a significant impact on your spiritual formation. And so what I want to talk about today is a vision that Jesus had and, and released uh, for a new kind of community that would form around him, that their, the common purpose would be following him. And it was a radical vision of community, especially for his culture, but it's actually an even more radical community for our current culture. And he calls this radical new kind of community family. So look with me for a minute at Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. It says, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, what's happening here? Jesus is sitting inside somewhere and he's got followers all around him, sitting all around him. He's got kind of his inner circle close, close to him, sitting in a circle around him, it says. And then there's kind of a crowd around. And his mom and at least a couple brothers are outside looking for him. And so word kind of spreads to the crowd. Hey, your mom and brothers are looking for you. And of course, they're referring to his mother, Mary, and his biological brothers are looking for him. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to make a profound and radical statement about what it will be like to become his follower. It says in verse 33, who are my mother and brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, why was this such a radical statement for Jesus to make? Well, for one thing, you have to kind of understand the lens from which Jesus was speaking through, which would have been a first century Jewish cultural lens. And the first century Jewish culture would have been something that's that's known as a strong group society. And so this is a group that would, and this is actually very common in even today in most non-Western cultures. And it is a society and a culture that's formed around uh, a shared set of habits and norms and expectations and values that greatly impact the behavior of the members. 
and the priority of the group, uh, the priority of the individuals are for the group before individual and self. And so decisions and, and ways of being are always in light of the good of the community and, the, and your role in the community. And so within a strong society, your primary group would be your biological family. So it was very ingrained in, the, in this formation that your family comes first and this is where you find yourself. And this actually, like I said, still exists in, in most non-Western cultures. And so Jesus is actually casting a vision here for a new kind of family that is not based on blood ties, but rather it's formed, as he said, by whoever does God's will. And so it is a form of adoption into this new kind of family. And so it's that those who choose to follow him and do the will of God are now his he calls his brothers and sisters. And Jesus really throughout his ministry casts this vision of a new kind of family. He always calls God father. He calls his followers, brothers and sisters, treats them, interacts with them like family. And really this lens is so important for how we should look at the whole New Testament. We are such, have such a um, individualistic um, Western way of thinking that even when we think about coming into faith, there's a big focus on our own personal guilt and innocence. Whereas if you looked at the, the scriptures and the whole doctrine of justification through the light of this lens, you would look at it more like adoption into a new family. Like when Paul says, taking off the old self and putting on the new, it's all about adoption into a new family, a new way of being. And so Jesus's call was to put his family even ahead of your biological family, which was in that world would have been an unthinkable thing to say. That you have to give up your blood family to join this new multi-ethnic family. And so why is this radical for us today? Because in our culture, a lot of people are disconnected from their family of origin and they live in different states and um, this may not seem so radical to us, but if you're wondering, America is considered not a strong group society, but rather a weak group society. And in this kind of society, the priority is placed on our individual freedom over, the, over and above the group. And so in the West, we have redefined freedom to kind of mean to do whatever the heck we want, as long as we don't hurt anybody. And so this idea of having your community or your family having priority over you, uh, none of us think this way because we've all been formed, particularly those of us who grew up in America. I know some of you grew up in other cultures, and so this might have been an adjustment for you. But for those of us who grew up in America, we were formed in this weak group culture and this weak group way of thinking. And so we look at life through a lens of hyper-individuality. So this call to this kind of family that Jesus is defining for us is completely countercultural. Our cultural norms do not align with Jesus's vision for family. And so Jesus here does not question the strong group approach to family. He just says you have to swap out your biological family for this new one, this family of diverse cultures and backgrounds and preferences. But he does not say we have to give up this way, this strong group approach to how we do family. And so 
This family is formed around one common purpose, doing God's will. Jesus says you have one father, which makes all of you brothers and sisters. And like I said, this was said through his first century Jewish cultural lens with the expectation that this family would look a lot like a first century family with the same level of commitment and priority of the family over individual freedom. So what does all of this mean for us? This means that Jesus's vision for family was not about our church building or about even being a nonprofit, but rather it was about the values of family. What, what are the things, the values of a family and the healthy habits of a family? Well, that we eat meals together, right? I mean, that is like a, 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 a central um, sign of a healthy family that we regularly connect over a meal together. Um, that they were loving and affectionate, that we hold each other accountable. Um, you know, Dave has all of us on dish duty two nights a week. Every one of every everyone in the family has dish night, and if we don't have our dishes done by eleven o'clock that night. We have to do double duty the next night, and he holds all of us accountable to that. That's part of being in the family is having responsibilities and holding each other accountable to those responsibilities. We share resources, we bear one another's burdens, we celebrate together, we make decisions together and discern choices together. We release each other into our destiny and we're faithful to each other to the end. And so if you hear this and you're thinking, um, and you're connecting that to the family of God, like that's a little intense, Rebecca. Like I'm cool with you know, attending church a few times a month when it works my schedule and having a few other friends that follow Jesus. But on my terms, like, I hear you. Uh, you know, I just want to make clear that you think this way and I think this way because we have been socialized by our Western hyper-individualistic culture. So much so that our natural tendency is to resist thinking about this level of involvement and commitment. And we believe to think this way is, is normal, but it's not the way that most non-Western cultures think. And it certainly is not in line with the teachings of Jesus for his vision for family. And so to lean into this is, is going to require that you push through some resistance. It's incredibly countercultural. You know, we, we talked all last month about your identity in Christ and discovering who you really are in the person of Jesus. But the truth is, you will not truly discover your identity in Christ apart from authentic community with other followers of Jesus. It was just all through the New Testament, Jesus does not separate uh, life with God from life with his people. They were one and the same. And so not only do we need others on the journey to encourage us and to hold us accountable and to speak the truth to us in love and pray for us and support us, but we also need these relationships for healing. You know, our deepest wounds come from relationships. Uh, uh, most of our wounds are relational wounds, and they need relationships actually to find healing. Uh, we can find our deepest, you know, healing from our wounds when we are able to be with other people who can receive and hold our, our pain with us and we can share our stories with. You know, when I lived in 
Columbus, I started a, a women's group for moms of children who had kind of ongoing long-term health issues and complications. It was called A Mother's Heart for Healing. And we met, met regularly for years. And over time, we shared everything with each other. We shared struggles in our marriages and just pain over things with our kids. And we said things that we were afraid to say out loud. And we, we ended every meeting taking most of our time just laying hands on each other and praying for each other. And over the years, it just became a very safe place where we could be intimately known. And these women became um, a life source for me. They were my greatest support when uh, the year I was getting ready to move to Milwaukee. They were the people that came, despite all of the things that were on their plate, they were the people that were there the most for me to watch my kids and help me clean out my basement and um, even support us financially with the church plant. Uh, they just were my family in Columbus. And it was a very healing uh, community. And, you know, our relationships shape how we relate to God. You know, how we relate is how we relate. In other words, we cannot have this healthy, life-giving relationship with God if we do not have healthy, life-giving relationships with human beings. Uh, how we relate with human beings impact how we relate with God. They, they, they mix together. And so if we want to grow in our relationship with God, we have to grow in our relationship with people. And so how do we do this? How do you participate and become a member of this kind of family? What is, what's your role in this? This kind of family that, like I said, speaks the true in, truth and love, that knows the real you, that holds you accountable, that carries your burdens, that celebrates with you, that supports you in practical ways. You know, I've seen this kind of mutual life-giving and loving support um, in lots of ways in our church community already. But in order to really grow spiritually for real spiritual formation, we have to go deeper than just, you know, polite relationships with people that we may gather with a few times a month um, on Sundays when we are able to gather again, that is. Um, you need to experience life around a table where you have space and time to go a little deeper and to really bring your whole self. And so this kind of connection that leads to this kind of real healing and transformation, it starts with our willingness to do these three things. Number one, to take the initiative. Any kind of relationship or community requires someone to step out and get the ball rolling, to invite some other people in, um, and again, just taking the initiative, I know, is an act of vulnerability. It takes some risk to be that first person to reach out to somebody else um, and say, hey, you know, do you, you want to be in community with me? Are you interested in, in uh, forming a circle with me? Um, are you interested in just getting to know me? So taking initiative, that first step. And, um, you know, even though it is a risk, on the other side, by not taking the initiative, we risk never experiencing this kind of healing and transformation that Jesus wants for us. And secondly, we do need to risk vulnerability. Like I said, it's a first step of vulnerability just to take the initiative. But once you're in a community, then you need to take some risk in bringing your whole self to that community, in um, you know, bringing 
the good, bad, and the ugly and being who you really are. And I know that takes some time to build up a level of safety and trust with a group of people. And that's where the third thing comes, which is to commit. And this is probably one of the most difficult ones for um, our very, our weak groups, our weak group society, um, our, our very hyper individualistic Western culture that is forming people, honestly, that are less committal with each generation. I mean, people don't even RSVP to, uh, to invitations anymore. And the most common response I hear when, you know, someone asks, hey, are you going to A, B, or C? You know, people will be like, maybe. <laughs> There's even an option on a Facebook invite. to. I, th- I don't know if it's to say maybe or interested, but either way, it's just crap if you're the one that's throwing the party. Um, and there's lots of reasons that I can't get into today for this decline in commitment. I mean, we see this play out on every level. But the fruit of this decline as it pertains to this experience of the family of God is that, is that without the willingness to commit for the long haul, you'll never actually experience the good stuff. You'll never actually enter in to this real vision that Jesus was casting for the family of God. Uh, the authors of a really wonderful book called Slow Church, uh, this is something they said that I really appreciated. They said, spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. People who stay grow People who leave do not grow. It is a simple but profound biblical reality that we both grow and thrive together or we do not grow much at all. I love the word, the term they use, how they use crucible there because that's like a a container that you can like melt things in. It can withstand a ton of heat. And so this idea that these relationships are like a crucible that can manage a lot of heat, um, because when our, you know, when we form these kind of relationships, it's it's in the heat when things get real, kind of when our when our junk starts to surface, when our fears come up, um, you know, that's when things get hard, and you don't just walk away, but you stay in it, and you have the hard conversations, and you push through. That's where real transformation takes place. That's where the purification process comes in. And so you need to stay long enough for this to happen. And most people begin to bail when things get uncomfortable. So how does this work in our context right now, in Vineyard Milwaukee right now, in our community? Uh, obviously, we have limitations right now. And it is my hope and vision that as we move forward and one day we're out of a pandemic, that when we can return to more and more face-to-face gatherings, that there will be more and more Um, connectivity of family around a table, and we'll hopefully be creating lots of opportunities for that. But right now, I would like to invite you to consider forming something you've heard us talk about already, um, joining a Vineyard Milwaukee Circle. And uh, I just sent something in the mail. Some of you might receive it already. You might receive it Monday, where there's a little card that kind of outlines this. But a circle is a gathering of three or four people where you actually practice this. You gather regularly, you commit to each other, um, you gather around God's word and pray for each other and hold each other accountable to the practices and uh, just really encourage each other to, 
to look at what the Holy Spirit's doing in and through your life and just to be praying for each other when you're not meeting and to really walk out this experience of family where you can uh, begin to bring your whole self to, uh, to other people and receive their whole selves back. And so if you're interested in doing this, then I encourage you first, like I said, to take the initiative to form your own circle. If you know even one other person that you think might be interested, you can start there. And maybe the two of you then can think of a third person, reach out to you know a third or fourth person. Uh, maybe for a while you'll meet on Zoom, or if you're comfortable, you meet you know in a place um, in person or some hybrid model. But either way, it'll be a, a way that you are meeting regularly with other followers of Jesus um, for this purpose of, of going a little deeper, getting more deeply connected, and supporting each other on this journey um, over the shared um, commonality of being followers of Jesus and doing God's will. If you are newer to our community or you're having trouble forming a circle, uh, another couple things you can do is you, you can join me on the first Tuesday of every month. I will be holding a Zoom, um, over Zoom, a circle gathering where we'll, we'll actually walk through all the steps together. Um, and you can meet other people there too that are interested in forming a circle that maybe you didn't know were interested or you don't know well or you've never met at all. You may also email me and let me know that you're interested in being part of a circle and I'll add you to a list of names of people also interested in forming a circle. So those are other ways that you can take steps into doing that. Listen, we all fantasize, or maybe not all of us, maybe it's just me, but about having this idyllic community that operates in this vision of family that Jesus intends for us. But we will never discover this family if we idealize it, if we think it's anything like those TV shows or even close. Uh, you know, often when we struggle to experience this kind of community for ourselves, we tend to think that there's something wrong with the people around us, that the people at our church or in our neighborhood or where we live, maybe we moved and lived in a different neighborhood or moved to another church or moved somewhere cooler, we could find the right kind of people that would really kind of become my family. Maybe my family is, is somewhere else. But the truth is, um, you know, you're never going to find an ideal community like that. It just doesn't exist. And the beautiful, what you're, you're looking for, the beauty comes from entering in uh, with the people that are right there in, currently around you, in your community, in your church family, uh, in, into the messiness of diverse, broken people who are different than you and have different preferences than you. They might vote differently than you. They may be different season of life than you. Um, but it's learning to love each other, commit to each other um, over the long haul. And it's through the challenges and pushing through the difficulties that the beauty begins to emerge. And we begin to look more and more like our true selves in Jesus. So I encourage you to take a risk because it's worth it.